We work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clear. Clear for what? For the rest of the night. You guys hear that? Welcome to the show, everybody. I am your host, Tony Merkel, and I am really glad that you're here, and I'm really glad to be here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. The email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. If you're on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, go ahead and look me up there and friend request me. Or look up The Confessionals on Facebook and go ahead and like us there. We would greatly appreciate that. Tonight's show, we have Tim coming on, and Tim has actually had paranormal activity in his family home growing up that yielded poltergeist activity. And then later on, he shares his UFO encounter and his brother's Bigfoot encounter as well. So without any further delay, let's bring on Tim and hear what he has to say. Okay, tonight I have a great guest coming on, Tim. Tim contacted me a little bit back, and he shared with me that he had some experiences that he's had basically throughout his entire life and they range from anywhere from paranormal to a cult to a ufo to more so tim how are you good how are you i'm doing well man so you said to me that you had a paranormal experience and uh that that happened when you were a kid would you want to start there and walk us into that sure i uh my brothers and i i have four brothers and uh my mom and dad moved to a house in Seattle, when I, I think I was about first grade, I must have been in first grade, because uh, that's the first grade I can remember attending there at the school. And um, you know, shortly after moving in, funny things started happening in the house. And uh, uh, it became apparent to us after a number of those things that there was uh, probably a ghost in the house. Um, it wasn't a, a ghost that was um, bad or negative or scary. It was uh, more a playful ghost than than anything else. But um, a number of ex- we had a number of experiences uh, that 
you know, it kind of demonstrated to us that, that it was there and it was real. The, um, the, 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 one of the major experiences that we had was during Christmas, my mom likes to, um, my mom liked to, I'm sorry, uh, decorate and make a big deal out of Christmas. And, uh, we were sitting there one day and, uh, one night, I'm sorry. And, uh, there was a mantelpiece, a centerpiece in the mantle and it just lifted up off the mantle and, uh, went out a, cu- a couple feet from the mantle and stayed there in the air for a while and then dropped and broke. And my dad saw it. My mom saw it. My brother saw it. Um, and that was <laughs> one of the introductions to, <laughs> uh, the playful spirit. Wow. And, uh, then my mom, um, I'm a Christian now, so, uh, I would never, um, tell anybody to do this, but at the time I wasn't, and I don't think my family was either. And she got a Ouija board and, uh, tried to find out if she could contact whatever spirit, um, was in the house. And, uh, they actually did. Uh, and it's, the the spirit said it was a young boy and at one point we knew the name but i can't remember that anymore it's it's been a while um but <clears throat> she found out through the ouija board that it had uh there had been an accident in the house like in the 30s it's it was an older house and he had been brought into the house after or a a boy had been brought into the house after the accident and apparently died in the house according to the Ouija board. And then my mom went down to the city and started researching it and, and said she found evidence that that was in fact true. So I don't know. I was only a kid. I don't know how much evidence she found and I never really asked a lot of questions, but that was, um, uh, what we just assumed it was this little boy that just wanted to hang around. Wow. So when your mom broke out the Ouija board, did activity in the house kind of pick up after that? Or was it usually more business as usual? I don't think so. I think it stayed the same. Um, we, uh, there were always little things going on that we didn't, we, um, didn't understand, but, but I don't think anybody, well, my grandma didn't like it. <laughs> she was, my grandma stayed there one night and something was under her bed and she thought it was our dog Scuffy. He was a little, uh, poodle and she, he thought, she thought he was under the bed messing around. He said, so she told him, quit messing around, get out of there. And nothing happened. And then he started, it started making noise again under her bed and she got out from out from the bed and looked at underneath and there was nothing there. So she um, packed her bags, called a cab and moved left and said, I'm never staying here again. Wow. So she's the only one that, that I know of that had a negative experience. But, uh, um, but the rest of everybody else, it was just, uh, it, it was either interesting or a nuisance, but it was never negative. Okay. And, um, my brother, um, was very young and, uh, my mom used to, 
it, it was an old house and there was a drawer where there was flour in the drawer where they used to keep flour in the drawer. Um, and I'm not sure why it was for some baking purposes. Um, and, uh, my mom used to take my brother in there and set him in the drawer and let him play in the flour while she was cooking. So she didn't have to be in two places at one time. And, uh, so he had a good time playing in the flour and, but then, um, when she would come down the stairs in the morning after uh, we were sleeping, she would find the flower door open and a bunch of flour all over the floor. And she would get mad at my brother. <laughs> said, well, why are you playing the flower? You're not supposed to do that when I'm not there. And, and he said, I'm not, I wasn't playing in the flower. There was, I was never in there. And, and um, it seems to be that he enjoyed playing with flour in the kitchen. And, uh, and he was heard multiple times in the kitchen, downstairs in the basement, um, when nobody was there. And then that's one of the experiences I had that was very direct. I was, I heard him in the kitchen playing with pots and pans when I knew everyone in the house was in bed asleep. I was the only one awake. And so it happened. Those things happened often. And, uh, but I wasn't scared. It was weird. I, I didn't want to go in the kitchen, <laughs> so, uh, but I wasn't scared. I just was, it was interesting to sit there and listen. I was in my bedroom and it, whatever was doing that was making noise with pots and pans in the kitchen. And we would find the stove turned on and turn, turned on at night. And, uh, the dryer and washer would go on sometimes by themselves. And um, you would hear things downstairs in the basement when you were upstairs uh, in the main floor watching television or something. My aunt told me that that happened to her quite often. She was uh, about 16 at the time, and she babysat us a lot. And she would hear things like that quite often. So it, it, there was a, a lot of stuff like that. And one time my brother said he actually saw a little boy my dad was in the main floor bathroom, guest bathroom, shaving and getting ready for work. And my brother was at the top of the stairs uh, looking down and he saw a little boy walk into the bathroom with my dad. And it's funny because he tells me how he felt as a child. He was maybe six. He felt mad because this other little boy was getting attention from dad, not him. So he waited a few seconds and then he walked in to, to find out where the little boy was. And he asked my dad, where's the little boy? And, um, dad, dad kind of poo pooed it and said, come over here and play with me. And just, so he didn't give it any, the light of day. So, but he saw that. So those, those kind of things happened a lot. Did he say what the little boy looked like? Uh, just that it was about six years old and um, had old clothes on, the, the kind of clothes that you would have if you were um, from a different generation. And uh, But no, you didn't tell me too much about specifically how he looked. He just said he was a little boy and he was jealous of him because he was in the bathroom with his dad. Okay. When you heard the pots and pans going off in the kitchen and everything, 
you said you weren't scared, but you didn't want to go into the kitchen. Did you ever feel prodded at all? Like inside, did you like out of curiosity, just kind of wanted to go and look? That's the funniest thing. Cause I didn't, I, I just know I was sitting there on, on, uh, on a chair in my bedroom, listening to something going on in the kitchen and it was more curiosity, but I didn't want to go look. And I don't know why, because my brother asked me that too. He said, why didn't you go look? And I said, I don't know. And I don't remember being scared. I, I know I wasn't scared. And I, I'm wondering if I just thought, oh, that's just so-and-so. And it's just interesting listening to him play with the pots and pans. I, that's the, that's the feeling I get when I, when I think about it, but I was never afraid. At that point, with it being in your house and stuff, I guess it could have been just kind of like old hat kind of thing where you're just kind of really just used to this. We were used to it. And it was. We just assumed he was living with us. And uh, I think everyone just took it for granted and didn't make a big deal out of it. We have, both of us have gone back, my younger brother and I, to the house. Um, about three years ago, I went back and I, uh, went up to the door and knocked on the door and a gentleman came to the door and I said, hi, I, I introduced myself and said, I lived here when I was, um, a boy and he introduced himself and we talked a little bit. And then I said, have you, do you ever hear anything? Do you ever see or hear or experience anything weird in the house? And he, uh, he just said no. And then at that point, our conversation was over. He didn't want to talk anymore. So I said, I said, okay. And I, I left him alone and I didn't make a big deal out of it. But my brother said he went up and he's a contractor and he works in the city still. I'm not there. I live in Texas, but he still works in Seattle. And he said he stopped by there one day and, um, he pulled up in the truck and started talking to the guy at the house and his boy fell down and got hurt or something. And he had to stop talking uh, to him and attend to his boy. And uh, that kind of ended the conversation and they, they went in the house and he went on, but um, he thought it was kind of interesting that as soon as he started talking to him, the little boy got hurt and, uh, I don't know what to make of that, you know, yeah, probably just a coincidence, but, um, uh, but it just, it, it, it was just an interesting experience and it's never happened since and it never happened before. Uh, so it had to be something related to that house. And, um, we, um, we just accepted it as, you know, part of living there. And, uh, uh, didn't, were never afraid or didn't think too much about it. Took it for granted, I think. I got you. Yeah. I wanted to ask you before we move on to the, uh, other topics here with the whole first story you shared with the mantle was what fell, what, what was it that fell again? Was it a, a, a vase or something? Yeah. It was like a mantelpiece with flowers and 
um, a, a decorative type piece, um, whatever it was, it, it, it broke on the ground when it hit the ground. Okay. So when that first happened, everybody's there, everybody saw it. Was that the first time you guys saw something like that in the house? What was everybody's reaction to that? Because I was young, I can't remember if it was the first time or the second time. I can't even remember if it was before or after the Ouija board incident. I was just too little. I was a first and second, third grader. Um, but it was, it was a big deal. And, and it was something that everybody remembered. And, um, so it, it, it made a big impression. I'm just not, I just don't remember if it was before the Ouija board or after the Ouija board. Okay. But well, I remember distinctly the Ouija board, uh, spelling out names and, and explaining incidents. And it was pretty, pretty amazing. And that was, I didn't know anything about any of the stuff before I saw that happen. And, uh, since then I know that you don't mess with those things and you're opening up doors. You don't want to open. Um, but luckily I don't think we opened a door that we didn't want to open and And then I don't remember ever doing it again. I got you. Do you think that this entity, uh, wanted attention as in, Hey, I'm here still somebody, you know, pay attention to me. Cause that's kind of like how it sounds. I mean, he did things to get your attention and it would also do things that it saw your brother do like play in the flower drawer. Yeah, I think, I think that it was, I think, I don't know why, what ghosts are. And, uh, I wish I could understand it better than I do, but I don't. We all do. I, I think there are some demonic elements to it, but I don't think they're all that way. And I think in this case, it may have just been, uh, a little boy who died before he thought he should die. And he still wanted to be a little boy. And that, I don't know if that <laughs> makes sense to you or not, but I don't think it was malevolent. I think it was just and um, maybe someone who wasn't ready to go. And, and, but I, that's not easy to, to um, reconcile with Christian beliefs, at least as, as though, as they are often portrayed. But, I think there are things out there we just don't get. We just don't understand. And the best thing to do is remain humble about it. And and in this case, I think it was it could have been something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, you bring up the whole, you know, your faith and trying to reconcile your experiences with your faith. And, you know, I... I know I've talked about, you know, my different ideas and stuff like that on the show before, but I, I would say this, that in first Samuel chapter, I think it's 28, it talks about Saul, King Saul going to a, 
uh, I forget how the Bible describes it, but I think I just say for lack of better terms, a median or a witch or something. And uh, he contacts the dead prophet Samuel. And it's, it talks about it in the Bible. It talks about how he tricked this woman to contact Samuel. Samuel's spirit, ghost, whatever you want to call it. I think the Bible actually calls it a ghost comes and talks mm-hmm. with Saul and it it literally talks to Saul as if it's an intelligent being that knows what it's talking about as if it's actual Samuel. So um I I think there there might be times that you know you're dealing with things that uh maybe not necessarily are demons but um actual ghosts of people because the Bible actually yeah. does talk about that. It does say that it's possible. I mean it it doesn't say like in that chapter where it talks about that, it doesn't talk about how, you know, Saul tried to reach a spirit that could tell him things that Samuel knew. It doesn't say that Saul contacted a spirit pertaining to be Samuel. It said that he contacted Samuel's spirit. The ghost of Samuel came forward. And it, it doesn't say that, you know, Saul was tricked into believing that it was Samuel. It doesn't say anything like that it, if you read it for what it says, he contacted Samuel's ghost. And so mm-hmm. when you look at it that way, I mean, it, yeah. it makes the plot thicken, doesn't it? It does. And there's other scriptures that say, do not try to contact the dead. And then there's other scriptures where prophets from the past are uh, come, come and make themselves visible to people in the present. And it just makes you wonder. You just, anyway, I think the best thing to do is just be humble and not try to think you got it all figured out. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, that's, that's a great point. That's why I like your show so much because you're, you're, you're actually dealing with stuff that a lot of, um, Christians would maybe look down on. And, uh, but I'm fascinated by the whole thing. (laughs) I can't help it. It's not because I have a weird, perverse, you know, mystical desire to understand the evil of, you know, the underworld. I don't. I have no interest in that at all, but I'm very fascinated by the paranormal. I'm fascinated by um, uh, things that, you know, supernatural powers and and things that uh, we see uh, God move in supernatural ways. We see the devil move in supernatural ways. That fascinates me. And I'm fascinated with uh, UFOs and and Bigfoot. And I just, all these mysteries, they just kind of add a little bit of spice to life to me. And, uh, but it's not because I um, am weird or, <laughs> or something, you know, or. No, absolutely. Or 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 have this weird desire to uh, delve into darkness. That's not my point. I just think that there's things out there that we don't understand that are beyond us, and and maybe that's good. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, you know, even for me, for most of my life, I've been intrigued by these kind of things, cryptids and the spiritual stuff, um, as far as like, you know, what are ghosts and are they real? And, you know, the, the default, 
I don't want to say the default answer, but I just feel like most of my life growing up, the default atmosphere surrounding ghosts and all that stuff when it comes to the whole quote-unquote Christian response is that's not real. You shouldn't talk about it. You shouldn't like yeah. it just it, just ignore it and it will go away. And that's like yeah. that that answer isn't good enough for me. And as an adult, no. I decided I was going to make my own calls on this and I was going to look into things more. And the more I look into things, the more real it becomes. And I think that there are a lot of people out there and whether you're a Christian or not, just people in general that have experienced these kind of things, but they don't have an outlet to talk about it because who do you talk yeah. to? You don't go around at work and talking about this stuff. Well, I do, but no, <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm a little, I'm a little weird with that stuff. I mean, I, I just talk about people to people about stuff, but um, most people don't, most people don't just go and say, you know, start talking about this kind of thing. And, and so that's why I think this kind of thing is so important, you know, and, and to reveal details that people just don't think about. They might know something, but they don't really put it in, into context. Like the whole idea of ghosts and a, a Christian and what they believe and stuff. I mean, even even the disciples were in a boat and they saw Jesus walking on water and what they call him. When they first saw him, they called him a ghost. A ghost. Right. A ghost. And, right. And it's, I'm not saying that Jesus was a ghost there, but what I'm saying is that was the first thing that popped in their head. And these the, people often treat the characters in the Bible as if they've never read anything in their entire life, that, that they just... That all they were were these characters, but these were real people with real life experiences. They read books, they were educated on things that were not biblical context things. And when right. their first response is, it's a ghost, that should be a sign to people. That should be a clue to the readers of the Bible that if the disciples, if their first reaction is, that's a ghost. Maybe ghosts are actually real. Maybe there's actual maybe real they, things going on here that people are experiencing, and you shouldn't just sweep it under the carpet and say that person's seeing things. No. You know, it's the same thing with Bigfoot. I'm a, I am a historian. I teach history. I understand the value of oral, oral reports and encounters, people telling what they experienced, and I'm. I'm sorry, you can't have people from multiple languages, multiple continents, multi multiple ethnic groups, um, all over the world, seeing the same thing over and over and over, thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of times in the last 10,000 years, with the same kind of evidence and have it be an accident. It's not possible. As a historian, I can't ignore that. Right. There's something to this. There's a lot of smoke. There's got to be some fire there. I don't know what the fire is, but why not, why not go and look at the smoke? Why just immediately discount it? Because it doesn't fit in your your um, perception of reality. And that's the experience I get most often. So I've stopped talking about it. <laughs> so I don't talk about it with my family. I don't, the only time I'll talk about Bigfoot is when somebody 
um, seems to have a sincere interest and then I'll share my, what I know, but otherwise it, it's been very discouraging. And because I don't think you should just discount thousands of years of history and thousands of years of testimony. I just don't understand why you would do that. But that's my problem. <laughs> no, it's most people's problems a, when they care about that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, I mean, it's just, how can you do that? These things, there's something there. They, they report the same kinds of things. They smell funny. They, they, they scream in ways that are very intimidating and, um, uh, make you feel them screaming. They vibrate through you. They, they have footprints. They have, um, they're huge. They're hairy. They're strong. They're fast, amazingly fast. Um, the, how can so many different cultures and languages and people and continents report that and have it be, and have it be uh, some kind of, um, what do they call it when you're trying to pull something on somebody, a joke, a practical joke, really all those cultures, ethnic groups, languages, continents, native Americans throughout 10,000 years, they all were trying to play some kind of practical joke. Really? It gets to the point where you look at things, when you look at it that way, you, you really do start to see how silly some of the explanations are when people try explaining this oh, it's, phenomenon oh, away. It's ridiculous. It, it, it's it ridiculous. really is. If it, It's almost as if you, could, if you could hold a mirror up to their face so they could actually see themselves saying what they're about to say. Because it's like, do you really believe what you're about to tell me. Uh, it's very interesting. But well, you know what? Let's get back to the uh, Bigfoot topic in a little bit here because I know you have a Bigfoot story you'd like to okay, share. that's fine. Um, that's fine. But that is a very interesting story you shared with about your childhood and the, the house you were living in. As you got older, you went to college and you had two different experiences in college. But let's start with the experience with the occult stuff that you had experienced. What okay. what started there? How'd that all come about? Well, when I got to college, um, I became a Christian and um, eventually started doing some evangelical work uh, throughout campus. And one of the things we did was we had this presentation on rock and roll music. And um, we we um, talked about some of the influences uh, of rock and roll music that we thought were satanic or um, evil, you know, or motivated by evil. And uh, I just want to, since then I, I've grown up quite a bit <laughs> and some of this stuff was not, um, I think was blown out of proportion. I wouldn't say today that a lot of, a lot of it was true, but at the time I believed it and we were just trying to help people, uh, uh, see through some things that we thought were hurting them. So, but, um, in the process of doing that research, I started researching the satanic Bible and, um, uh, some of the uh, people uh, like Anton LaVey, the founder of the Satanic Church, and uh, 
some of the influences of um, uh, that had that we thought at least at the time were influencing some of rock and roll music. And um, uh, in the process of that, I started learning things and delving into things that that were kind of weighty, putting a weight on me, if that makes sense. And I started feeling a weight, a spiritual weight from the whole thing. But I thought in my youth, I thought it, I needed to know more. The more I knew, the better, more effective I would be at helping people. And uh, um, so I just kept studying it and learning more about it. And then I had a couple of dreams and one of them was a dream that I know was a dream. And one of them was a dream that I'm not sure it was dream or real or a mixture of the two. And uh, the first one was um, uh, I was dreaming. I, uh, the, the dream I dreamt, I was at a party and um, uh, I was, we were just talking casually with other people and this person comes into the party and it was Anton LaVey who was the founder of the satanic church in the United States and nobody recognized him in, at all but I did because I knew because I'd been studying this stuff and uh, he tried to fit kind of fit in uh, and so no one would really notice him. And so I kind of, and I, but I knew who he was. So I walked up behind him and I started singing, there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood uh, of Jesus. And he turned around and he looked at me with the biggest eyes you can possibly imagine. And he ran out of the room. <clears throat> and that kind of encouraged me that I was doing the right thing. But, that was such a graphic dream. I'll never forget it. And, um, uh, that was the one that I knew was a dream. And, uh, you wake up later and go, wow, that was interesting. The other one was a dream that I'm not sure was a dream. And I was in my room in bed. It was in the afternoon. I think I was taking a nap after classes. And I felt, I, I, I felt like a skeletal hands reached up through my bed, grabbed my throat, and started pulling me down into the bed. And I was, I could physically feel myself being pulled down into the bed. And. I struggled with it for a little while. And then I just said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. And as soon as I said that, the hand let go and I sat up in bed. Like I had been resisting it. And as soon as they let go, I, I, I couldn't help but sit up. And I cannot tell you to this day how much of that was real and how much of that was a dream. But I knew that only 
only the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus could fix it. And it did. But I'd also showed me, I got to quit reading this, (laughs) researching this stuff. Um, Because if you know the real thing, you don't need to know. I mean, counterfeit, the way you teach people to recognize counterfeits is you teach them what real dollars look like. And uh, I, um, from that point on, I quit delving into the occult uh, to learn about it. I quit reading anything about the Satanic Bible, and I figured um, if I needed to deal with that, I could deal with that by knowing who Jesus was, (laughs) not by knowing um, more about the occult, but it just made it, it made the whole thing seem very real to me. And, um, I, uh, to this day that I know the power of the, you know, the, the name of Jesus. Yeah, that's very interesting. I've heard that many times, but people, you know, say that, you know, by claiming the name of Jesus when they're being attacked like that, it helps them. Uh, now, when you said that you're not sure if you were dreaming or not, when you, when yeah. you felt the release and you, I think you said you sat up on your bed. At, at what point do you think you're confident that you were consciously awake? I was conscious when I sat up and, uh, I remember everything very clearly. Um, I remember the hands on my throat and I remember feeling that I was being pulled down. I just don't know if I was dreaming that or if it was really happening. Um, If it was really happening, there would have been obvious physical limits to pulling me down because there's, I'm not going to pull me to the floor, but it felt like that's what was the intention. Was there markings on your body? Because there was no markings. Nope. Okay. A few episodes ago, I want to say, man, I can't even remember. It's a couple weeks ago. I had an episode on where a guy described that he was being pulled off his bed by these entities, but he said that, it was like they're pulling something out of him. Like it was like they're trying to they're they're pulling his inner being out of his body. I remember I listened I I listened to that. I remember. Do you think that's um maybe a possible similar situation? I didn't sense that. I sensed a threat. I sensed an anger that I was um threatening them in some way and I was being they were attacking me. That's what I sensed. But I knew enough to immediately call on the name of Jesus and, and that ended it immediately. So um, maybe, maybe had I not done that, I may have experienced something like that. But I felt like I was being attacked because um, I had been, in, in a way, threatening um, uh, the enemy. 
Um, and I also feel like I was opening myself up to it by entertaining a lot of the stuff that I was, I was, I was reading and looking into. So if that makes sense. No, it absolutely does make sense. I mean, the things that you mess around with definitely have a direct impact on your experiences with the spiritual realm. Uh, I mean, that's the positive and negative thing. I mean, it, it really is. So that definitely makes sense. Do you, are you the kind of person that normally remembers their dreams? Because for me personally, no, no, I don't I, remember I, my... I don't, I don't remember very many. And if I do, unfortunately, I remember them enough to tell my wife about them in the morning and then I forget them before the end of the day. <laughs> so um, I, and often, usually they're just weird. They don't make any sense to me. That's probably why I don't remember them very well. So, but these these ones I'll never forget. Right. Yeah, I, I'm not the one to remember my dreams as well. Uh, my wife, she remembers every dream she's ever had. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, she's like a book, uh, and I just find that interesting yeah, how some it. people can remember and some people can't. And but it also, you know, lends to how real this situation was. You know, if you were dreaming, it was a dream. Why do you remember it so well compared to the other times that you dream? Because I, I, there's actually, there's only two times my entire life that I can actually recall a dream I had. There's only two dreams I can remember. And they're both dreams that had to do with um, evil, satanic evil in my dreams. Yeah. And... I know there were dreams because of the details in the dreams. Like for instance, the first dream that I ever re actually remember, uh, I remember it happened when I was a kid and I remember this to this day. And all it was, is it was a recurring dream where I had tattoos appearing on my body repeatedly every night. And they were like these, these symbols. And I didn't know what these symbols were, uh, but they were like, you know, swastikas and um, crucifix and, like different things like that. But when I was a kid, I didn't know what it meant. I just mm -hmm. remember telling my parents wow. about it. I remember sitting in the back of my parents' car driving somewhere and telling them that I'm having these dreams and told them what, what I was having these like tattoos and I think they're evil symbols. And I don't, I remember their, I don't, I remember their, their, their reaction was uh, shock and also what do I do with that? You know, like <laughs> they, they didn't know what to do with yeah. that. And so, um, yeah. I think they probably said pray about it or something. I don't know. But, um, and then the, the second dream, and this is a dream that I haven't really told a whole lot of people about just cause it hasn't really come up and I don't, I, I'm not against sharing it. So I guess I'll share it with you now since I'm on the topic. Um, when I was in college, my wife and I were, were dating, I think. And I had a dream where I was at my church and I walked downstairs into the church basement where uh, they had like a big fellowship hall and there's a kitchen down there and there's an office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you come in through the doorway, down the stairs, you make a left into the doorway and you enter into this big room. And, you know, there's different rooms coming off of this one big room. And to my left immediately is, the, is an office down there. And in my dream, I come down, I go downstairs, the office is to my left, I look to my right. And my dad is standing in the middle of this big room, just with this dead stare on his face, just looking right at me. No emotions, nothing. Just like 
an empty mm-hmm. shell of my dad. And mm-hmm. I, I don't remember, I know I said something like dad, what's wrong or something like that. But I remember to my left, that office that was there, it got really dark and all of a sudden I'm now in the middle of this big room and my dad's further away from me still. And these, this room got really dark and these shadow hands, like these long, creepy, demonic looking shadow hands came out of the, this office in this like black cloud and it just came towards me. And like, it was like they were, these hands were crawling across the floor and like reaching for me and they grabbed me and they started dragging me like i'm now on the floor i don't remember falling but i remember i'm now i'm now on the floor being drugged into this office by these like evil shadow arms and hands and they're like all over my body and i'm screaming for my dad to help me and he's just giving me this dead stare just staring right at me with this empty look like there's nothing he can do to help me and it was like it wasn't like he wasn't even there he was just like a shell of himself. And then I woke up and, uh, you know, for a long time, that dream has haunted me. Um, did you, did you say at one time that you had, your dad had been abusive? Is that your story or was that someone else's? No, I never, I never said that my dad was abusive. It must've been somebody else. Um, uh, me, my, someone, somebody was saying that. Okay. Okay. Well, that must have been someone else then. So yeah, no, it, w- it wasn't me. I never said that. Uh, me and my dad, we're really good friends now. In fact, we work for the same company oh, and everything. <laughs> um, good. No, but it it that I think dream, you had a guest on once that said that, and might um, might have been yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. But yeah, that that dream has. Um, I for a long time I I thought it meant one thing, and now I believe that it means a totally different thing. Um, but, uh, the meaning for that dream right now is still up in the air. So I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Cause I'm still trying to, you know, seek the answer on that one. But, uh, yeah, very interesting though, that I can remember two dreams out throughout my entire life. And I think a lot of people forget their dreams. And so when it comes to this, I mean, I don't want to say you weren't dreaming because, you know, if it's traumatic enough, you're going to remember it, you know? Well, I don't know. I, I and they were traumatic and I remembered them and, and I'm like you, I don't remember very many dreams. I can't remember one right now. If you asked, if you offered to pay me a hundred thousand dollars to remember another dream, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. <laughs> so, but those two, I'll never forget. So, and, uh, and since I stopped looking into any of that stuff, I've never had dreams like that again. I got you. So it's really interesting. Uh, I mean, who knows, but I'm glad that you haven't had that dream like that before or again, because that sounds terrible. <laughs> so yeah, that was, it was crazy, but it, yeah. When, now, anyway, that's how it goes. So. Absolutely. So now that happened, you're still in college and you experience seeing a UFO. Were you alone when this happened? No, I was with um, my girlfriend and her mother. And I think either her sister or one of her friends, but I can't remember that for sure. And we went to a Rodney Dangerfield concert. Remember the guy who said, I never get any respect. Uh, he's funny. <laughs> it was really funny. And it was in, um, the eighties, 1980s at the 
Beasley Performing Arts Coliseum in Was- at Washington State University. And we, we were walking to the car, and for some reason we looked up. I don't remember why. And uh, there was a, a, a circular object that you could only t- see because it was slightly lighter than the, dark, the, the night sky. And it was probably, it kind of looked like a checker piece, maybe even smaller than that, because it was so high. And it just kept moving in a triangular motion over and over and over. And it did that for 10, we probably watched it for 10 minutes and it would move in triangles all over the sky in a, in a, but in a restricted area, it wasn't like everywhere. You didn't have to, to move your neck to see it. You could just stay looking in the same direction and you would see it move in little triangular motions. And it did it for about 10 minutes and none of us could figure out what it was. And eventually we just said, okay. And we got in the car and drove home and I don't know. I, to this day, I have no idea what it was, but it was interesting. It was, it was definitely unidentified, at least as, as far as I can tell. And, uh, it didn't have any lights, zero lights. And I'm wondering if someone was making some kind of shadowy reflection up into the sky, but I can't imagine how you could do that. So, we just chalked it off up as something you can't explain and, and moved on. But that was my single UFO experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so. that's interesting because I've, you don't really hear a whole lot of UFO experiences where people do not describe lights being part of the story. No lights at all. And completely. It was completely just a different shade. It was a lighter shade of in the darkness. And so that was why it was so un- hard to understand because if it was lit lit up, you would go, okay, obviously it was uh, much different than the, than the night sky, but this was just very subtle. And you, you most, I'm surprised we even noticed that it. it was that subtle. But we did, and it and it kept going. It probably kept going after we left too. So but, you left before it was done. Oh yeah, we got tired tired of watching it because it just kept doing the same thing over and over and over, and we couldn't figure out what it was. And I think at the time we, um, I probably just we probably just figured uh, it just was beyond us to understand. So why waste any more time? And I think we do that a lot as humans. It just goes, well, okay. And it just kind of, it doesn't fit into anything. We can't reconcile it. So we move on to something that we can reconcile. I, I, maybe, but, it, but, but we definitely watched it for about 10 minutes and then we went home. And I don't remember ever talking about it again to anybody. Wow. So That's interesting. Now, let me ask you, did this movement, now you said you saw it moving 
you know, in a triangular formation all over the sky. So it wasn't like in a fixed location creating a triangle in one location, right? No, but it was, but it wasn't way over there where you didn't have to turn your neck one way and turn it the other way to see it, to keep it. If you just looked at a general direction, you would see little triangular motions and you could, you wouldn't even have to bend your neck because it was so high. But, um, but, but I don't know what it was. Do you ever think that it could have been something that was part of a bigger craft that you couldn't see as much? I mean, you described it as it was a different color black. So maybe it was part of something that was even bigger that you just really couldn't see because it faded in so much with the night sky. It could have been, I haven't, to be honest, I don't know what it was. It could have been some military project. I don't know. I just thought it was weird. Sure. And, uh, we didn't, we, none of us could understand it. And I guess the only option is to just forget about it or be afraid. <laughs> we forgot about it. <laughs> done. But, uh, we didn't, I didn't know what it was. I just, I, I don't, I don't talk about it very much to anybody cause it, it wasn't one of those UFO experiences where you go, man, that's amazing. <laughs> Cause it not lights and they didn't come close and the door didn't open. And I mean, it was just, just a circular shape that was a slightly different color, light, lighter than the night sky moving in multiple triangular formations over and over and over. <clears throat> That's just not real exciting. <laughs> That's <laughs> make the night, nightly news, <clears throat> but it was interesting. Sure, absolutely. Oh. That that's that is interesting. I mean, I've never, I've never seen anything like that. And like I said earlier, I mean, most people describe lights, or, lights or something, but you didn't have that experience. So it's no very interesting. Um, and I've never seen it since. And I'll honestly probably never see it again. But I love looking at the stars, so maybe I will, but probably not. Yeah, you never know. You never know. I mean, the more you look up, the more you'll see. So let's see here. You had the paranormal experience when you were a kid. You had the occult experience and the UFO experience in college. Uh, Those are your experiences. However, you do have a Bigfoot story that your brother experienced, and he just doesn't really want to come on the radio to talk about, but you're more than willing to come on and talk for him. Is that right? Yeah, I'm fine. As long as there's, I don't have to say his name. Absolutely, no, it's fine. So, what did you draw draw up this scenario for us? I mean, your brother comes to you and tells you this story. What happened? Okay, well, he in the 1990s, he he lives in, he lives in Seattle, and he bought a property in in Union, Washington, which is right on the Hood Canal, um, just at the base of Mount Washington in Mason County. And he bought a property there because he's a contractor and he, he wanted to uh, build some houses. And he had a trailer there that he was living in. Um, actually, no, I think it was a small house that he was living in that had been there for a while. And he uh, was living there while he was building this house. And he went outside one, one evening um, and he smelled a really bad smell 
like a skunk, a musky, you know, dead thing type smell that is often um, discussed when you talk about Bigfoot. And he smelled it and he thought it was a skunk. And he, so he started looking around to see where it was coming from. And about 75 yards up the hill, uh, and I've been there and I've seen the pole that it was standing next to, um, he saw a, a Bigfoot standing there staring back at him. And he said it's about nine feet tall. And, um, and when it saw him see him and notice him, it screamed at him really loud. So, so, uh, and the kind of scream that vibrates through you. And he freaked out, ran back to the house and, uh, grabbed his gun and locked the door. He had a handgun of some kind. And, uh, but he was he was pretty certain it was coming after him, and he'd never seen anything like that. Had no interest in it. Had never studied it. Knew nothing about it. So it was a brand new experience. But but because it was, he smelled it. He saw it. He heard it. It's pretty classic experience. And uh, it just turned around and walked away. He saw it walk away. And, uh, but it freaked him out and he never told anybody about it until I asked him once if he'd ever seen anything weird that he couldn't understand or explain. And then he told me, otherwise I'd never even have known about it. He just doesn't talk about it. And, uh, but, um, I went up there, I was there this summer and I, I asked him about it a lot because I'm pretty curious about the subject. And, uh, so I went up and stood at the pole where it had been, and I'm about six, one, about six, one. And, uh, the place where he said the creature's head came to was about three feet higher than my head uh, in the picture. So it was big. And, uh, based on the research, no, I don't, I hate that word research. I'm sorry. Based on the reading <laughs> that I've done about encounters, um, I've only read about them. I've never gone out and seen one or found one and I don't want to, but, um, I, uh, I think it was probably telling him to go away. It was just warning him, get up, get away. I, I don't like it that you're there. And, and it would pro it was probably cause he lives about his house. He's still there and it's about 200. It's a, it's about a half a mile from the water, from the ocean, from the Puget sound. Uh, and it was probably going down to the water for some reason. And he showed up, Joe comes out of the house and shows up and it, it probably um, uh, prevented it from doing what it wanted to do, and uh, and that's why it screamed at him, and then it left. So anyway, so that's um, 
how that's what happened. And uh, he seems to think at the time when he was living there, it doesn't exist anymore, but at the time when he was living there, there was a sewage area up above his house further up the hill where they dumped a lot of sewage. And because of the dumping the sewage, it caused a lot of seeds went into the ground and grew and there was a lot of tomatoes and they called it the tomato fields. And he, he seems to think that a lot of the wildlife congregated around there because there was so many, so much vegetation and that it was coming down from there toward the water. So, but he doesn't want to talk about it because he thinks people think he's crazy and stupid and, and he knows what he saw and he doesn't care if anybody believes it. And so I don't, I, I don't, you know, ask him to do something he's not comfortable with in, in terms of talking to someone about it. Sure. Yeah. It's understandable. You know, it, it can be a very traumatic experience. I mean, I'm assuming he didn't believe in Bigfoot before he saw this thing. Not at all. <laughs> and, and he, he has no interest in ever seeing one again. <laughs> He gets mad at me when I talk about it. <laughs> Isn't that funny how some people see these things and it makes them dive into the topic and some people, it scares them away for life? Yeah, he has no interest. He don't, doesn't want, he's talked to friends of his that have um, had experiences with them in certain areas. And I've talked to him about, well, let's go to those areas and spend the night and see what happens. And he goes, she's no way, buddy. I don't, I don't want nothing to do with it. Um, he said, you see one and you won't want to do that. So I just take it, you know, that's, well, I've never seen one, so I can't say that otherwise, but, um, uh, I imagine it's a, could be a terrifying experience. I'm sure. I mean, when I first started looking into all this stuff and I had started my, uh, Facebook group and, you know, I started getting a lot of people coming into that group. Uh, Pennsylvania Sasquatch Research, and there's, you know, growth there, and people were starting to talk to me about, you know, what they saw, and it was shortly after I started this group on Facebook that I mentioned, I forget how the topic came up, but somebody that I go to church with told me they saw one, and I was like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? And he said, yeah, and he shared with me his experience, and it's funny how he doesn't talk about it and he doesn't really care to talk about it. But I think that there's a lot more people out there that have experienced these things and they just choose not to talk about it. Uh, because there's been several times now over the last few years that people in my real life, every day, not the online thing, but my everyday life that have told me that they saw a Bigfoot and you know, these are people that I trust. They're, they're no, they're not joking around. They're being f dead serious. And so it makes me wonder how many people out there are seeing these things and just not talking about it like your brother. Well, there's a lot of them. So, uh, it's funny that I think that if you say you saw a ghost, people were much more likely to accept that than if you said you saw a Bigfoot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think they would just kind of flow with that, but they would mock if you said Bigfoot. And I've gotten to the point where I don't talk to anybody about it unless they have a, unless they seem to have a sincere interest because I'm tired of being poo-pooed on the, the deal. So 
but it fascinates me. I think it's a really interesting topic. For sure. Absolutely. And I can understand that. Uh, it's the Bigfoot community can be an acquired taste, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're either, you're either too negative or you're too positive. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, one thing I'm finding out is you can't please everybody. I mean, between my nope. YouTube channel comments, my, my podcast comments, my Facebook page comments, yeah, you learn real quick that you're not going to please everybody. It doesn't matter what you say. Somebody's going to have a bone to pick with you. And uh, you just got to learn how to you know, pick your battles. And so when I see that somebody's being negative and things like that, I usually don't respond. Uh, I say usually because there are times that I do respond. And I, I regret it afterwards because I don't have the time to go back and forth on this online you know, no. back and forth. Who has time for that? I don't have time for that. So no usually, time for that. usually it ends with them jabbing me and I, it just, I just let it go and they get the last word because I just don't got time to keep going back and forth. Yeah, I agree. I just not worth it. So, yeah, and there's a lot of people that have a certain stake in the ground. And if you mess with their stake, they have a fit and, I don't think you can have a stake on the ground with this thing because I don't know what it is. And I have some suspicions, but they're only suspicions. And I think they're well, they're well-developed suspicions because I've read a lot, but they're still, who knows what they are. And you just have to, be humble. It's the same deal. Why can't we just be humble and realize that we don't have it all figured out? And just because you're a scientist doesn't mean you have, you, you know, everything, <laughs> you know, it, you, you don't know everything, you know, some things. And they, this is a mystery that I think There's so much too that I don't think we're going to know in our lifetime, my opinion. So, and I think at least regular people, I think the government probably knows more than they're letting on. But I don't know for sure that I just think based on what I've read and looked into that it seems like there, that, that there could be a cover up. But I don't know that for sure. But what I do know is that if it was just an animal and they were on every continent and every almost multiple language groups and multiple ethnic groups and someone would have got one. And if we haven't got one yet, either it doesn't exist, it is a myth, or there's something far more to it than just being an animal. And that kind of makes people nervous. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, you have a giant creature running around that might be more than just an animal. Yeah, that's a little scary to think about. And might be threatening, at least at times. Although I think that's probably overblown too, but I'm sure that they've had their encounters with people and people have lost. Sure. I'm sure. I mean, same thing with any animal 
out there. You got and they've lost too. I mean, just like the example of the guy you had on the show. I mean, and I have a theory. I think that prior to the invention of gunpowder, they made themselves more readily available available to people. I think gunpowder um, gave us the upper hand. That's a really interesting theory. And that's when they, and that's when they became very rare. And I think, I, I believe, I think the Native Americans prior to gunpowder had more interaction with them than we do today. Well, so, they, they talk about that, that. All that, all that is, is a theory. I will never go and die on that beach. I'm just, it's just a thought I had. So, well, I mean, I think it's a really um, good thought. I mean, the, the native Americans talk about having interactions with these things and just the idea, I'd have to look into it. You know what I mean? As far as when was gunpowder made and when can we, where can we graft the sightings? And do you see a certain dip in sightings around that same time period and things like that? I mean, I'm sure somebody out there could do that research. We're talking 1700s. We're talking 1700s and there's probably hard to find to prove it because all you had was oral, oral stories from Indians. And so, no, I mean, you can't put, you can't teach that as gospel, but it just seems to make sense that when they, suddenly we were equal or that became a great equalizer that uh, they would be less or a little bit more reticent to be around us. It's just, just a thought. Yeah, I mean, when when we came, when we when Europeans migrated to this country, we brought guns with us, and pre and before that, there weren't guns here. There wasn't gunpowder here before that. So no, there wasn't. Nope. Very interesting. And um, there's stories as far back as Daniel Boone, where Daniel Boone said he killed one. Yeah, you know, I don't know the details. Have you seen that story? I don't know the details of that story, but I've heard of it. It said he shot it, killed it. And, um, so at least they, they were aware of it. And then some of, I've read stories about Oklahoma where they were abducting some of the tribes, uh, women and children and eating them. And, uh, they went after them, but they had, they had rifles then and they eventually realized they could kill them by shooting them at shooting in their head. And, uh, I'm sure that didn't go <laughs> that, but if that happened and I think, I think it happened, it seemed like it was a legit source, but I'm not certain it happened, but I'm sure there's been enough interaction between humans and them that involved gunpowder that, um, uh, cause them to want to avoid us. That's yeah. just a thought, though. No, it's a good so, thought. It's a really good thought. But it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tim, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing these encounters with us. Uh, I know it's very interesting, and 
I hope you, uh, I hope you enjoyed being able to share your story with us today. I sure did. I love your show. Okay. So keep up the good work. I will certainly try my best, sir. Thanks for coming on. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. Hey, listen, if you go to iTunes and you listen to the show there, please go ahead and give us a rating and review. And whatever podcast you do listen to the show on, just give us a thumbs up on it and stuff because that really does help us in the rankings for these podcatchers to play our show and put us in front of some other shows. So please go ahead and do that if you haven't done so already. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to email me at theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. I'll see you guys next week right here on The Confessionals. I ain't happy, I'm feeling glad I got sunshine In a bag I'm useless, but not for long the future it's coming on. I ain't happy. I'm feeling glad I got sunshine in a bag. I'm useless, but not for long. The future is coming on. It's 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 finally someone let me out of my cage. Now time for me is nothing, cause I'm counting no age. Now I couldn't be there. Now you shouldn't be scared. I'm good at repairs, and I'm under each snare. Intangible that you didn't think so. I command you to panoramic view Look, I'll make it all manageable Pick and choose, sit and lose All you different crews, chicks and dudes Who you think is really kicking tunes Picture you getting down in a picture tube Like you lit the fuse You think it's fictional, mystical, maybe Spiritual hero who appears in you To clear your view when you're too crazy Lifeless to those with definition for what life is Priceless to you because I put you on the hype You like it? Gun smoke, you're righteous with one toe You're psychic among those possess you with one I'm happy, I'm feeling glad I got sunshine In a bag, I'm useless But not for long, the future is coming on I'm happy, I'm feeling glad I got sunshine In a bag, I'm useless But not for long, the future is coming on It's coming on, it's coming on It's coming on, it's coming on The essence, the basics, without it you make it Allow me to make this childlike in nature Rhythm, you have it or you don't, that's a fallacy I'm in them, every sprouting tree, every child of peace Every cloud and sea, you see with your eyes And see destruction and demise, corruption in the skies From the... Enterprise. Now I'm sucked into your lies through Russell, not his muscles, but percussion he provides with me as the guide. Y'all can see me now because you don't see with your eye. You perceive with your mind. That's the inner. So I'm going to stick around with Russ and be a mentor. But a few rhymes. So remember what the thought is. I brought all this so you can survive when law is lawless. Feeling sensations that you thought was dead. No squealing. Remember that it's all in your head. I'm feeling glad I got sunshine In a bag I'm useless But not for long the future is coming on Hey love I'm feeling glad I got sunshine In a bag I'm useless 
And I feel all my future is coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on, my future is coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on, my future is coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on. Why'd you come? You knew you should have Tried to warn you just to stay away And now that 